Welcome to the latest episode of The Closet Corner. Today's guest is a world-recognized singer and songwriter in the genres of rock, punk rock, and hardcore punk. He is also an instrumentalist, live performance artist, producer, photographer, artist, and writer. His bands include Bad Brains, Common Thread, Uprising, and Fireburn. His solo work includes Ghetto Folk, Deeper Meaning, Rod of Iron, and Meltdown. So without further ado, please welcome the extremely talented Israel Joseph to the Claws Corner. Israel, how are you? Hey, Rich. Thank you so much for that great intro. I'm doing well. How are you, man? I am doing well. Before I get into it, I was going to ask you off the air. I forgot. Is it Israel Joseph I or is it Israel Joseph? Uh, either way, sometimes I use the I. It's a little formal to use the I. <clears throat> the I really stands for the first. Uh, I'm the first person in my family to be named that. So, uh, but it's, you know, it, it, I'm Margo. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, either, either way, way uh, if, yeah, either Israel Joseph I is my traditional uh, Rastafarian full title. Uh, it's Selassie I and uh, a lot of eyes, actually. There have been a lot of eyes. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's mostly what people know me for on stage. Yeah. So, okay, well, that's uh, you will be, you will be uh, Israel Joseph I for the rest of the yes, interview. King. <laughs> yes, yes, well, sounds good. Sounds good. As I told you off the air, I had so much fun doing my research on you. There's so much to talk about. And I want to start with the Seven Area University. So what is that? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> seven Area is a concept I developed uh, quite recently, actually. But it's been a concept I've been doing since I was a child. I've always been interested in mysteries and unknown information and pertinent information that comes from a being taught the Bible, I think. <clears throat> Maybe it just comes from being Aquarius, but being taught the Bible at a really young age by my grandmother, she taught me how to read the King James Bible. So by the time I was in, I was like five years old, I was already knowing how to read the King James Bible. And that introduced, yeah, she was really uh, keen on doing something for me that uh, changed my life. But that introduced me to a lot of history and mystery. And uh, from there, it led to understanding uh, a lot of information that's not really known. And I decided to put together Seminaria University. Seminaria is uh, basically the sevens, okay? There's a lot of, if you look at, there's a lot of septenaries in our life, uh, seven musical notes, seven visible planets. Uh, there's sevens go on and on. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, but uh, basically, there's a few sevens that can help us in this age. Uh, the seven hermetic principles, for instance, those are really important. I mean, I think that knowing that everything vibrates is scientific, but Hermes uh, and Toth, and these, they knew this, and they said if we could just tune our vibrations to these uh, universal vibrations, which is actually what Rasta has been saying as well, then we would get a better result because it would be more uh, harmonious. Uh, the animals are, seem to have been tuned in with this vibration. We have to find it ourselves. So there's uh, seven levels of tuning in. You know, the planets are affecting us. The, the, uh, the sun is included in those planets in my, in my the orbs. Orbs are affecting us. Mm -hmm. uh, their light that they're shedding on us is affecting us. And we want to get to know that. I want to take this power out of the hands of uh, human beings and the worship of men and the, the manly form and the, the womanly form or the human form or the animal form or any earthly form and start to understand what these planets are really doing for us. And traditionally, there's seven 
visible planets that are visible to the human eye without a telescope. Uh, we can see them, all right? And the moon, and, and they're not planets, they're orbs. Some visible orbs includes the moon, uh, it includes Venus, it includes Mercury, the sun, uh, Mars, uh, and, and uh, Saturn, okay? So uh, these represent <clears throat> real objects, but they also represent uh, seven levels which we can attain within ourselves. And this is what I've been trying to do my whole life, rising, you know, like rising through the levels. The moon represents your primal ugliness of, of, of uh, not knowing right or wrong, sensing right or wrong, but maybe having to learn the, 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 the finite of right or wrong, right? There's a big picture right or wrong, there's a finite right or wrong too. And this is where the moon comes in. Uh, getting rid of is what these planets are really asking you to do. Is get rid of your ignorance. So you drop your ignorance at the moon. You move on to uh, to Venus, which is the planet of love, right? But why is that? Because traditionally it represents the first <clears throat> star we see in the evening <clears throat> and the first star we see in the morning. It leads the sun. It leads the planets. It leads the constellations. So. Uh, we feel like it is doing a service and it is bringing forth beauty. We're about to see beauty when, when, she, when the Venus arrives. So that means in you to remember that the universe is telling you to cultivate a belief in beauty, understand a belief in empathy and service. And so it goes on and on, the sun and all of that, all the way to the top of the seven. So you meet Saturn with his rings. And Saturn is well balanced, you see. He's, he's got rings. All the other planets have rings, but it's very dispersed. Even Jupiter is dispersed, but he's very balanced. He's got his rings going on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so he's the top of the pyramid, man. And then there's one, there's a force above him, actually, which is Neptune, which I really haven't talked about, which is <clears throat> the ninth sphere. See, the Earth is the eighth sphere. It's a sphere of creation. But the ninth sphere would really be Neptune, which is the place where uh, the water above, you see, that's the real water above, you see. They're confused about the firmament in the Bible, where it says in King James Bible, there's a firmament, there's a waters above and the waters below. So we thought there's a glass dome. Well, they're reading that wrong, right? Because there's an atmosphere between the ocean and the clouds. So the clouds contain water. And so that is the water above. And the huh? ocean below is the waters below. <clears throat> so there is a firmament because when the wind blows, you knock you over. When the wind blows, it's strong, but yet you cannot see it. And what does it mean? <clears throat> well, what, what has it meant? <laughs> it went by. It's a firmament. <laughs> you see, we get words out of words out of words. So firmament, what does, what does this mean? Uh, unseen thing represent here it is a firmament so they believed that the air the atmosphere was holding the clouds and everything in place right they didn't believe there was a dome you see later people came along and drew this thing and said this is what the bible's saying when the bible talks about the 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 the, the, the pillars of the earth if you look up the word pillar it's where we get the word pill from mm -hmm. It means stone, large stones in the bottom of the earth. Yes, there are large stones in the bottom of the earth holding the mantle and holding the uh, continents in place and holding our, right now below us, we dig, we're going to find some large and then they're going to melt. 
and they're going to become the fires of, of the so all of this has to do with uh with seven area the seven and it's a university to teach uh most importantly what we can do today to tune ourselves to the forces of the universe so that we can move beyond this earthly realm it's time to do it it's it's the age of aquarius no more the age of pisces we're done that's done 2100 years that was fun but now it's over it wasn't really fun though because it was confusion mm -hmm. it was duality love hate believe no uh this that this that so <clears throat> we're no more in the age of that now we're in the age of energetic flow because that what's really coming out of his face is energy electric magnetism and energy from the creative force not not water you see we, we think the egyptians represented water but yes it is water but it flows like and so we're in an age of the air sign and the air sign is mental like you see me right now i'm trantic I'm, because the age has taken me now i have a responsibility to 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 speak this but it's always had take took me early right you can see our early riser right i mean there's a joke in there somewhere right so it took me early uh as a kid i was like you know knowing what was going on and uh the music just helped bring it out of me you know yeah i love it so seven hours that's what seven hours is about it's about teaching about bringing forth some great knowledge to people in this time that they can use to help themselves now, is it an online university? People could watch it uh, online on YouTube. Yeah, it's an online university. So, um, it's keep in mind it's brand new, so there's not a lot of content there when you go yeah. to the Seven Area website. But it's uh, Seven Area, which is S E V E N A R I A, like an aria, A R I A, Seven Area, one word, at YouTube.com, and there we'll be presenting. <clears throat> information stuff that's important i think or going to be important or, or people in the future might think is important uh like i said hermetic principles are pretty seriously important in this time we need to get back to certain foundations seven levels of, of perfection uh you know there are other uh subjects that are coming up that i'm not going to reveal right now but we're going to be doing the, everything from uh you know, uh, first visitation of the uh, alien creatures. Uh, we're going to explore that uh, to what it means to uh, find religion through uh, understanding the planets and astronomy, astronomy, astrology, <clears throat> astrotheology, uh, archaeoastronomy, um, studying language. Uh, we're going to be pushing into a lot of social dynamics as well, but uh, I don't want to get too much. I've been, I've been, you know, I'm browned and I live in a society where I have certain things to deal with because of that. And I've been trapped by that. I realized in the last year that that was actually an entrapment that stopped me from excelling. That was a game they played. And I realized that I broke that chest. I'm trying my hardest now not to talk yeah. about politics and yeah, yeah. how I like you know all this whole struggle that i've talked about for 30 years that mm -hmm. let's take it away from this planet and back to what we're supposed to be focused on which will renew everything man I, i'm telling you the, it will renew everything if you had a natal chart you probably do i don't know but a birth chart mm -hmm. to tell you your strong points and your weak points and and uh <clears throat> 
certain character traits that I read my natal chart at 51 years old. I was shocked. I was shocked. I tried not to read it. I knew they existed, of course, but I didn't want to read because you don't want to be a caricature of yourself, you know? You yeah, yeah. Be a pretense. So I'm supposed to be, but I heard about what Aquarius is, you know? I, yeah, you dig it, right? But I knew what Aquarius was, but I only knew the fantastic version of Aquarius. That Aquarius is like this mystical person that is like, talk, like caring about animals and caring about, and I knew that's who I was. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I got it. That's me. I don't need to know anymore. It's, just, it's too scary. But when I really looked into a natal chart about when you're born, your sun sign is Aquarius, but there are all the other signs that were in positions in the cosmos at the time of your birth. And those positions have a magnetic effect on you all through your life. And you're made up of those magnetic effects. And those magnetic effects have an effect on how you bring forth your energy into this life. You, you, you're either going to know about it or you're going to be it. And you're going to be out of control about it. But it's best to know about it. That's why I'm promoting this uh, whole uh, seven area natal chart, which is a combination between the sidereal charts, the IAU charts, and the tropical charts. One chart, one seven area chart, three times in life. So you get a, a full perspective of what's happening. Because apparently, see, like me, <clears throat> my Mercury is in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I'm going to be the way I am. And I've, I've always been that way. I've, 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 I'm, I'm a deliverer of a message. And I'm a collector and a deliverer. And I don't know why I've been that way, but I've, I've, you know, when you read about these things, you understand. So I think it's important for everyone to know. I think it's, it's been hidden. Uh, it's in the Bible. Uh, I know that astrology is forbidden in the Bible, but it's a mistranslation in my in seven area. In my opinion, it's a mistranslation. It's mm -hmm. uh, fortune tellers, future tellers. This kind of stuff is forbidden, but not the study of the stars, because yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Joseph knew that the sun was in the middle of the planets. If you know your Bible, he says, I had a dream. And they said, what did you dream about? He said, I dreamt that we were collecting sheaves of, of, uh, of, of wheat. And my sheaf got up and stood in the middle. And all of your sheaves stood around, 12 sheaves, and bowed to my sheaf. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, who do you think you are? The sun? Bam. 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 You know, I, I love to, I want to say something funny about what you just said. I love the message that you have. I love, I, I believe all that. And I just love that you're spreading peace, love, understanding, getting rid of the whole polarization, divisiveness. But it's like my birthday is on July 29th. And I don't know how many people come up to me and say, you're a Leo. I said, why do you say it? I just know you are. You're a Leo. And they're right. But I, I always ask them, like, just the way you are. I know you're a Leo. And it's funny that people, it's happened way more than once, probably like 15, 20 times where people just come up to me the way you are. Because the reason for me, they say that, I'm confident. I'm a leader. And they just like the, the way I project myself, They're like you're a Leo. So I, I definitely would love to see the birth natal chart. I would love to see mine just to get an idea of what that says about Leo's or about me. Um, Do you know what time you were born in the morning? Yep. Actually, it's funny. I was born 729 a.m. on 729 a.m. too. Oh, wow. you got to be kidding. 7.30 a.m. February 6th. You said you got to be kidding. Come on. 7.30 no, for real? Yep. Wow. Did so, you find, uh, you know, we were born in the 12th house. 
although we were born at the edge of the 12th house, which means we could be okay, but my 12th house has definitely played out in 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 weird in the weirdest ways which means the 12th house is a house of uh of, of trouble mm-hmm. it's a house of trouble it's a house that you can people can misunderstand you and that's the reason why it's trouble it's not trouble because you're like a bad person it's trouble because you're going to be the person who's going to be bringing all little stuff in and people may not understand you right away or they may see you as the leader you know mm-hmm. uh and that leader often gets the arrows of starting to come at the leader you know what i mean they say oh yes you're a leader arrows pop 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 i hate that guy you know like it could be you never know you know what i mean uh so the 12th house is that kind of thing you know but it's always ends up that the 12th house is a blessing because the 12th house is it's like it's like the jesus house you know what i mean it's like the house where you're born to bring forth the message and if people can be really patient like look at you you got the show that you're doing this program this interview you're bringing the message mm-hmm. born in the house but you are a leo i can tell that you're a leo see i'm 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 uh i'm i'm uh, juxtaposed to the leo aquarius and leo are like this in the chart you know and they uh they help each other because i'm saturn you know yeah. and leo is the sun you know mm-hmm. he's a brother of the sun and uh I control the winter, you know. I'm the light of the winter. He's the light of the summer. So it's like a like a thing, you know what I mean? It's like the same person, but a different kind of approach. <laughs> and uh, but it's brothers. The Aquarius and the Leos are brothers. We're brothers, you and I. Well, I'm glad we're to have my like brother on the show. Just like we're doing right now on the on the charts there, where me and you were facing each other. <laughs> I love it. It's so good to have my this family reunion on the Claws Corner. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you notice know was the constellation Leo? I did. Leo the lion. This is what this is, the constellation. This is the sun yep. in uh in Capricorn. This is the this is the tropic of Capricorn. This uh the in, in Cancer. I'm sorry, in Cancer. Yep. This is the sun at the tropic of Cancer and this is the tropic of Capricorn. These are the southernmost uh uh, uh constellations. These are the constellations we see every night. The Big Dipper you know, uh, Orion's belt, Leo, you mm-hmm. know, and Leo is up here too, right? So we got the constellations up here too. It's also the light of the sun. This whole flag is a syncretized image of the sun in July, which makes him the sun, the lion of mm-hmm. Judah, astrologically. So this is why Haile Selassie is important because when he took the title, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, he said he was the sun. The sun is when he is in July, he conquers this because you can't see the the constellation in July of Leo. It's shining. It's in the day. That's when he's in the house. This is so important to understand all these intricacies. When the house, right now the house is in a uh, the sun is in a house. We can't see it. The constellation he's in. But at night we see the other ones. And then when he leaves this constellation during the year, we're going to see this constellation again. So they say he's occupying the house. Mm-hmm. So in July he's always in the house. Of, so he's in the house, you see, and yep. so it's so deep that uh, the ancients knew all these things. I can't get enough of it. It's like how did how were they so smart? And we just feel like square buildings. So we're smart too. Yeah, but we're smart in a different way. We're smart to do robotic things. Yeah. We're smart to do robotic things. Things that are like oh, machine-like. You know, we can carry on our, our basic needs. Smart. Yeah. You know, we're like we're like, uh, but. <clears throat> These guys were smart on another level. Like they were 
tuned into uh, understanding is that you can't get out of um, experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can, you, can, you can probably get it out of a book, but no, you, you have to in tune this stuff. You got to really be living that life to become an I, the designer of the pyramid. You know, you got to really be living that life to become an Enoch. You know, like you can't just be like, yeah, it's great. And they don't teach us that no more. You know, live that life, you know, like the mystical. Okay, to give us two versions of Christianity, the popular version of Christianity, which I I don't I'm not knocking anything, but I don't subscribe to is Paulian. It's Paulian. It's what everybody practices. That's from Paul. That's the world's Christianity. Okay, Jesus came to him to knock him off of the horse. But hey, in the Old Testament, God said, I gave you laws to prosper you for nothing. That, uh, but that, that, um, what did he say? That, uh, I don't know, you can check out the exact wording laws that are good for nothing. Some of them prosper, no prosperity at all, right? And so in the New Testament, Paul is teaching a worldly Christianity where there's no laws, no rules, no nothing. All you got to do is say, hey, Jesus Christ, and you're good. And that is worldly Christianity. But you know what? There's a mystical Christianity, which is in the four Gospels, you see? And I'm going to tell you something really important, that the four Gospels is about the Son. And Paul's teachings and the letters is about a man named Jesus. That's why in the four Gospels, the character Christ dies on the cross because the sun in winter dies down in the south on a constellation called the Southern Cross. There's four stars. They call them the Southern Cross. And when he doesn't rise in the winter and he's all the way down here, see, the summer is all the way up here, right, right now. He's all the way up here over our heads. But look at him in December. He's all the way out there somewhere. You can't see him down south. He's like not even hardly rising over your head anymore. We, we never observed this, but this is true. And he's all the way out there. So he's down on the bottom of the equator and he's near a place called the Southern Cross, bro. That's what the cross is. It's not a real cross, not a guy dying on a cross. It's the sun going down south to die for winter. You don't see the sun no more. And then he dies on the Southern Cross. That's why Christ in the gospel dies on a cross. But in the book of Acts, Jesus dies on a tree. Two different things. And my grandmother made just clear to me, but she didn't make it clear why. I had she knew I had to live to find out why. But she yeah. said, "You remember, and this is a cross. This is a tree." She yeah, put I, that I there. Love your, I love your passion for this, and it's very infectious. I have to. Admit, <laughs> so, and, and I that's why I told you. I said uh, off the air. I said doing my research on you was like a history lesson. I learned so much just um reading and now talking to you i learned even more it makes me want to go read some more of the gospels and get some more information but i do i do have to say that i did watch a couple of your uh videos on YouTube. i love the seminary university and i'm also following that on facebook and i want to say two things that really caught my interest maybe because they're most recent were one why some artistic images of moses why he has horns and then another one that you talked about was the ark of the covenant does it exist and where is it and yes, I found those yes. two stories very if people who want to check it out. And I recommend that all my viewers do seven area university. It's online. Also check it out on YouTube and you can, you can read about it. You can watch his videos. I know you said right now you only have a couple, but you're just beginning with this. It's going to mm-hmm. be going a lot. I mean, as you could tell from our conversation, he's very knowledgeable and he has a lot of information that he wants to get out. So I would subscribe to it as soon as you're yeah. done with watching this interview. 
It's awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, That's guys, me. I appreciate I would appreciate a subscription from you guys. Um, it's only love and uh, it's coming from a place of love. It's not coming from a place of, uh, uh, you know, lecture or anything like that. It's just coming from a place of I found something really cool. And I think you guys should check this out. You might not uh, know how to benefit from it or you might immediately realize this is something I can benefit from. But I would appreciate some support because it is completely independent. I'm an independent person. I know I was signed on Sony Epic 30, you know, 20 something years ago, 30 years ago, but I have been independent for many years since then and doing a lot of independent work and Seven Aria is one of those works. So getting a, 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 a subscription like Rich was talking about would really help uh, help me out. So that'd be great. I appreciate all right. it. Yeah. Well, let's go back to where it all began. I want to go back yes. to Israel let's Joseph I, the yes. early. Yes. So, First of all, where did you grow up? All right. Well, that has two different stories, I guess. Uh, my first early years uh, was spent in a Caribbean island, Trinidad. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born there. I was born in the Caribbean in a place called uh, Port of Spain. And I grew up in Chanfleur, right uh, below a hill. And back then it was really forested and undeveloped. But I had a, my family was doing really well. Uh, my mother worked for the American Embassy. She traveled a lot. So we had a nice house. So I grew up in a nice way as a kid. Not when I got to New York, we got broke. Mm -hmm. uh, but I spent a lot of time in the jungle and the forest as, as Trinidad, in Trinidad because, as I said, it was undeveloped. So there was a hill uh, right into the jungle, right where I lived, up to a lady that babysat us called Mrs. Mills. She would take care of us. And as children, five years, six years old, I'd run all through the hills and the jungle. It was a beautiful experience. And uh, we left Trinidad when I was eight, came to New York, and I was immediately an outsider, of course, did not uh, speak every, the way everyone else did, and uh, quickly had to learn my place. But I, as a child, has, I had always been interested in music, uh, art, and creation, and rhythm, and dancing, and expression, and words, and writing, and photographs, and everything else. I've always been interested in creation. And uh, as I got to New York, that just bloomed because a lot of people turned out to be interested in that on Long Island in, 19, in the late 70s, the early 80s. And um, music was the biggest thing going and rap was just breaking. And I walked into New York when rap was still in its infancy. It had just come out the womb. You know, it was still hip. Hop, a hibbity, a hibbity, a hip hop, hop. You don't stop. You rock it to the bank. I don't want to get in trouble for singing, but you know, you know the one. Yes, I do. I love that song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was rapping before Run DMC put out their first record, man. I mean, that's how long ago I started wow. doing rap music. Yeah, and um, that that means that was sixth grade for me, seventh grade, sixth grade. I had a rap crew, and that that was my first indication that I could translate what I was doing privately or in front of my family or in front of my friends to a serious thing that people would wowed by. I had good raps. Uh, I remember trying to use big words in the old days and trying to have clever things like um, I got more money taller than the Eiffel Tower. I was broke as a joke. We, we were broke. We came to New York, lost everything, went into abject poverty. But I instinctively knew that you would talk about poverty in a clever way. You know what I mean? It would be poetic, clever. So I had rhymes about that at first, but then I 
quickly moved away from that to politics. In 1985, we discovered, like 84, we discovered this, probably even earlier when I think about it, this was uh, seventh grade. So you're talking 83, man, uh, this whole South African apartheid thing. And that was my first foray. As I said, I was I was immediately entrapped by history. And being a person when I got to America, in Trinidad, you're just a Trinidadian. And in fact, when I was a kid in third grade or fourth, fifth grade, and I would come home and say, Black, my 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 <clears throat> my uh all Trinidadians and Caribbean people refer to themselves as Trinidadian or Jamaican. I'm Jamaican. You don't have a person say I'm black. He's Jamaican. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a contrast because the reason for that is in Trinidad and in Jamaican, it, it predominant thought pattern is class, a class system. Yeah. At least it used to be poverty ruled. So you could be black, white, whatever, and get into married for sometimes. Sometimes you didn't, though. But you never married down. Never was a rich, well-to-do Trinidadian married down or well-to-do Jamaican married. You see that? Look at the movie Rockers. You know what I mean? The, the, the young girl wanted to get with, uh, with Horsemouth, and she couldn't get with him because her dad was like, oh, you can't get with him at all. I'm a, you know, that kind of way. And the Trinidadians are the same. You have the same kind of Trinidad. I'd be like, what happened to you? You cannot marry this man. You know, this old, you cannot marry this girl. You know, she's not. Um, so Trinidad, but here it's race. Yeah. Why did you here move from Trinidad to uh, New York? What, what prompted you? What prompted your parents uh, to bring you here? Education. Uh, okay. They wanted to get us a better education. Okay. And so here it's race. So here I had to learn, and I immediately got into uh, politics and music because of South Africa, because of apartheid, because of what I saw was wrong, and because look, my older brother David is a as a visibly dark-skinned individual, you understand? And so I saw, not just among my friends growing up in, in, in Westbury, but my own household, how the difference was back then. Now, nowadays, it doesn't really matter as much because of the struggles we put up back then. And I really think that's true. But if you want to talk about back then, then you have to erase everything that's going on today and understand what was going on back then. Yeah. And it was really real for dark-skinned people and all that type of stuff. So I felt affinity like that because of my own family, too. You know what I mean? Like, my, not just my friends, but, yo, man, my, my older brother David is, is dark. You know, my family come in different shades. I'm fighting for my people. And this began to leak into my raps. And so I was like that for a long time. And you have to understand, that's not uh, anti-anyone or anything. That is pro something yes i mean people want to put that into like oh you like you know like someone's a racist or maybe it's not that it's it's hey you got to lift something up you know what i mean this stuff is mm-hmm. whether this is lifted up or not this stuff's definitely falling down so let's prop this up a little bit and the way you do that is by propping it up by talking about it not by not talking about it not by ignoring it or not by buttering it up so i really believed in that especially as a young guy i was like fervent um, okay, so that became in the rap, and that's really where my where it started. Um, 
I, I got into rap as a conscious rapper. I, I thought that was going to be the solution to a lot of problems, man. I thought rap was going to solve it all. And then suddenly rap started changing by like 1987, 88. It started changing. And I got lost. I felt lost. I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? I'm the I'm the you know, I'm like a conscious, I'm the god, you know, I'm a conscious rapper. And what am I gonna do now? And no one's talking about that anymore. And by 80 in 1990, it was gone. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, let's 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 just not talk about anything at all uh, that is related to spirituality. Let's get street with it, let's get real, let's get party, let's get cool. And I was down with that for me. I'm down with that because that's where I'm from, and I'm I'm from that. But at the same time, I was like, there's something wrong with this. We should be using these words to do what we were doing, like be like the gods and all right. So I had to walk away from rap. And that's when I found Rastafari. Mm-hmm. And through them, I started hanging out with actual musicians, people who played instruments. And so I always could play hand drums. And so I started playing hand drums and I got into a band playing hand drums. And that's really where an uh, uprising, 89, 90. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dude who's playing guitar was the singer. <clears throat> he left to go be Mariah Carey's guitar player on her first record. And so I was a background singer and they could tell I was just enjoying myself singing all the songs, top of my lungs, all the background vocals I could. And they liked my voice. They didn't care. They're like, sing on Israel, you you young Rastaman vibe. And so Larry said to me when uh, Alton left, he said, Israel, you're going to be the singer. And I was 19. I was like, what? I sang in rock and roll bands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot Common Thread. You mentioned Common Thread. My God, I'm not going to forget. Right before that, like two years before that, my friend called me from Sam Ash one day. D. Wiz, Dwayne Sarden, called me from Sam Ash, and he said, hey, man, I have a friend that has a band. They're looking for a singer. And they sent me the demo tape, and that was Common Thread. So we, uh, we cut that uh, demo. They had a singer before, and the singer had left. And so... That was crazy. To, not to jump back so much, but let me, I forgot about coming through, so let me cover that. That was actually speed metal. Mm-hmm. I guess you would call it death metal today. But these guys, they were like some of the first I had heard personally doing it, right? In like 85. Now I know now retracted metallic and all that stuff that was yeah. there. But Long Island kids going like like hair, like long hair, just you know, it was ferocious. And I was singing um God in heaven. Sometimes I don't understand how in this world it's so hard to be a man. Like stuff like that. (laughs) I I love that. I love that mix. It was that and we like killed it, man. And then like the band started having trouble with, you know, the DRUGS. And, yeah. And it was all good though, man. This is rock and roll, and 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 then it rock and rolled into okay, so into reggae. So now like in because I was still growing my locks, I was like a rock and roll like locker, lock hair, lock, dreadlock dude, and like in bad brains and all that stuff, man. All that stuff was coming down. Like high school, my friend gave me a bad brains record. He was like, listen to this. He's like, you're growing your dreadlocks. You think you're a Rasta? You don't know about bad brains. So that's I found about bad brains. And he gave me eye against eye. And I was like, this is really amazing. Then I found the cassette downtown about two months later, the attitude cassette. And that was like it. I was like, oh my God, this, I was like, everything else gets off the shelf. Now this is the only thing that remains for a minute. But back to, uh, you know, so, 
I had known about this ferocious kind of music, you know, but I tell you the truth, I didn't grow up on a hardcore scene. I was actually in the hip hop scene, hardcore mm-hmm. hip hop though, hardcore hip hop, but in the hip hop scene, I wasn't downtown in, uh, in, in uh, Tompkins Square. First of all, I was a little bit scared to go down there. You know, the energy that I heard about, I was like yeah. 15, 16. I was like, man, I'm not going out there. I'm going to get stabbed out there. So, but that's not real because I, I would eventually meet those people, the sweetest people in the world. You know what I mean? But yeah. the vibe they gave off was like, yo, you don't want to go down there. So I never really made it down there until really late in the game. Uh, but so I, I was more like hip hop. But as soon as I got there, I was, I was already knowing what to do because I already listened to music. Minor Threat, Bad Brains. I was already listening to all that music. And... um. So uh, I just took about took about the horns. I loved it. I loved the beat, man. And um, that's the first thing really drove me. I love that beat, man. Yeah. You know that it's something that does. That's where it's at. And so uh, I began singing an uprising as as a, a singer. And I immediately changed the band into like a more hard edge reggae band because mm-hmm. it was pulsing deep roots reggae. And I added my friend Andy who came in and played like, and I like, like real like leads on, on hard reggae. Then I kind of took off the bad brains, you know? And we were doing that, we'd get like 250 people a week, man. It sprats on the water uh, in Long Island, sprats on the water in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. That's no lie. They named the whole thing after. It's called Jamaican Me Crazy. They had Rasta Pasta. I love and it. And I would come out. And yeah, young dude. I was like 19. Come out with a bunch of dreadlocks singing like Bob Marley. And we would, that's what we do. We'd sing 60% <laughs> covers of all the great reggae's and then do 40% originals. And, man, we backed up Ika Mouse. We backed up Julian Marley when he was a little kid. Like, with a, wow. you know. With, and, man, we backed up... Uh, Super Cat, all kind of people came through. And that's where I think I really started getting my name. But I had two other bands called Motherload, Song of Seven, you know, Isidore Monsanto, all these people, which was rock and roll and, and like hardcore and jump around hip hop type stuff, you know, a mix of hip hop. Yeah. And then I knew a girl named Natasha. I started dating her. And uh, after we broke up about almost a year later, I got a call from her. And she says to me, hey, you know, um, where I was today, I was like, where? And she says, uh, I was at the Bad Brains audition. I was like, what? And so she says, yeah, man, uh, it was like 100, 200 people down there. Where were you? I was like, man, I didn't know about the Bad Brains audition. I'm here on Long Island. She was like, man, you should have come down. She said, what? I did you a favor. I gave Daryl your number and I told him to wow. call you. Yeah. Imagine that. And I was like, word? I was like, what? This is like, I'm like, are you kidding? She was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's great. Thank you. You know, I was, did not think that was Daryl Jennifer. The God of all of this is going to call me, right? Like the sun is going to be like, hello, you know, it's the sun. You know, it's like, what? This dude is the dude, in my opinion. This is like the dude, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm doing my thing in the band uprising we're performing performing and uh we're playing four nights a week uprising played four nights a week for two years we played thursday night at the chart house uh next night at carol's place next night at between the ribs and uh, next time we skipped the night and then sunday was sprats and that's all in long beach 
So we do that four times a week, man. And one day I was laid up, man. And here come, luckily my mom's is home. She's on the door. You know, they made a movie about this called Rockstar. You should watch it. Mark Wahlberg. I saw that. Great movie. Yeah. Actually, from Same. what I read, it's about the singer that took over for Jews Priest. That's what That's they said what it was based say. on his life. Yeah. But how come it's my story? I, I know. <laughs> that I told all over the world. Well, you know what? You heard how it come here it's first. It's the exact the same story. We have a Claus Corner, Claus Corner exclusive. The story and, and of Rockstar is really the story of Israel Joseph I. And now, who's Izzy? Is the guy from Judas Priest Izzy? I'm not sure what his name is, but I know that he was in a Judas Priest cover band, the real one. And they saw him and they said, oh, we'd love to have you replace Rob Halford. That's all I know about him. And they but were that's saying, a story of a thousand guys. Listen to exactly. this story. Listen to this story. I, I like your story so much better anyway. I'm not in a... I'm not in a cover band. I'm in a band that's like, like, like very heavily influenced, and they are my all-time favorite band, the Bad Brains, Steel Dragon, right? Two, and I'm on Long Island, and I'm growing up with my family, eating breakfast with my brothers who were like messing with me, and my mother, you know, the same thing, like Chris. And, and uh, check it out. So. The only thing that's different is they made him into a cover band. I didn't do the cover band, but I did cover Bob Marley, and I covered, yeah, I covered Bad Brains, uh, Ja. Um, I Love I, Ja. We did that. Okay. Maybe they, maybe they did that. But then all of a sudden, he changed his name to Izzy. You know that in the movie? Izzy? That's his name. And then, uh, he, now, listen to my story. I don't want to tell you the movie. Listen to my story. So I'm sitting in my room one day, um, you know, half asleep. And my mother knocks on the door and I open the door and she goes, there's a phone call for you. And I get on the phone and I say, hello. And I, this deep, rich tone, I had never heard this voice. It's like, it, when you hear Daryl's voice, it's like hearing, uh, I don't know what, man, like a, like, a, like a deep horn type of thing come through. It's such resonance, that's the word I'm looking for. He says, is Israel there? And I said, this is he. He said, this is, he, said, he laughs a little bit, you know. This is Gerald from uh, Bad Brains. How you doing, man? And I'm like, what? So I go through the whole what? You got to be kidding me thing. And it took me two seconds to remember. He goes, no, no, no. This is Daryl. Latasha gave me your number. It's Israel, right? And it gave me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, my God, it is Daryl Jennifer. This is really happening. And... You know, it could have been a joke. Could have been one of her friends, right? Yeah. But I didn't even think about that, right? I just thought, oh, this is really him. And I straightened up right away, you know, like, <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, like right away, like, like Daryl's on the phone, like, my God. I was like, hey, so we're talking, man, and we just had a really great conversation, man. I was, he caught me in a good moment. I probably would have been nervous out of my mind any other time, but we just chopped it up. We just talked about music and, laughed and talked about like he had a family i was surprised i was like wow you have a family like i never thought about that you know i was a stupid kid you know i just never thought wow this is family uh i always said when i was younger i always thought i'd find him like somewhere in some hovel breaking bricks ready to like cause the next thing you know like, like <laughs> but no it wasn't anything like that at all he invited me up and they lived in a nice place in in woodstock and uh but they really was just like trying to get some music together, man. It was, uh, so I got the call, we talked. Uh, I agreed to go up. 
it was an amazing thing. I hung up the phone. I was like, this is crazy. So I did go up there to Kingston, met, went to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And they put me through the paces. The first night was the night. Uh, I got there at 11. So I met Daryl at his house. And I, that's why I ended up staying, him and his wife and his children. And uh, I, we talked all night. And then we got up the next day and went to the studio at about 9 a.m., 10 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, for a singer, that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, but we did it. I met Doc. And I was like, Doc was really quiet at first. So it made me kind of nervous. But <clears throat> it's good energies, you know. And so we all headed over to their studio, which was like a barn. I think I told the story many times. It was like a red barn in the middle of the forest in uh, Woodstock. That was literally a barn like the old uh, farmer's barns. And we, but when you open, it was converted into like a studio, which was really nice, uh, a performance hall, not a studio, performance studio. And so we rented that. There was a stage and all the equipment was set up and we showed up the Saturday morning and walked right in. I didn't know where I was going. We walked right in and all of the things were set up, everything. And I was just like, wow, uh, drums, everything. Mackie was there. I met Mackie at the studio. He met us there. And they were ready to go. Uh, is this too much? No, no, I'm enjoying this. They it's were not, they were ready to go, right? And I was just like, wow. So it's like parquet floors, a little stage that was about three feet to four feet tall, and a drum riser. It was all really really set up nicely, and uh, their amps. And they just walked up the stairs to their amps and plugged in, and they immediately got ready to go. And I was just like, wow, the mic was hot. You know, one test, yeah. one, two, it was, it was on. Uh, and so it had been set up and ready for us to get there. Like he called there, like, yo, just set it up. Uh, and Daryl started hitting that bass. I had never heard anything like it, man. Mm-hmm. And when he started hitting them G chords, man, and them B chords, it was like, I can't even imitate what a ferocious sound came out of that bass and i i remember thinking wow um this is the pro level this is what pros sound like right this is what a pros amp sound like and uh, he had two ampegs going two big ampegs you know uh five foot tall ampegs going did they and so the, well i'm trying to interrupt you i want to ask you like so when you went in there did they have a list of songs that they wanted you to sing? No. Uh, what happened was we got on stage and everything was hot. And after they started warming up, blam, 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 I stood there like this. And Daryl walked over to the mic and he goes, I, Israel. <laughs> <laughs> you do a great impression of him. No, <laughs> I, Israel. Yo, what song you know? What songs you know? And I said, man, I said, Daryl, I know all of your music, bro. I said, you guys are the bomb. I said, I know all this stuff. I said, I know all this. Stuff. He said, come on, man. <laughs> he said, what song do you know? You can't know. He said, I said, Daryl, I know all of your songs. And all of a sudden, that smile went. He was like, Doc. He was like, you know Reignition? And I said, yeah, I know Reignition. He said, Doc, play Reignition. 
And that was like, he almost was like, all right, now you dropping the, you know more of my songs. So, you know, like that kind of thing. But yeah, nice, yeah. friendly, brotherly, kind of like, oh, you ready to go? All right, let's get serious. So he turned around and man, Mackie, and when that started, bro, it was like the record. And I can hear the eye against eye record playing behind me with all the you know, you gotta have it's like playing behind the beat almost. Yeah. It's not down, down, it's down, it's kind of like laid right behind that beat, and you could hear that crawling monstrosity, bro. But when it came down, down, and I and I just I'm a singer, man. And I'm a good mimic too, but not on purpose. I was just, I happened to be born with that. Yeah. So that combined with my ability to do singing, I just heard HR's vocals. Mm -hmm. And I had a decision to make at that millisecond. Am I going to do my own version of this? Or am I going to give the audience something that they love and let them know here that I can do what HR did on the record? And that was what I did. Mm-hmm. And the exact print of the man's vocals came out of me, man. It was crazy, bro. It sounded so good, bro. And I did reignition, you know, reignition, transfer. And I sang the whole thing. And it was done. He was like, I saw that smile come back. And he was like, that was good. He's like, what else you know, Israel? And I said, I know soul craft. He says, you know soul craft? I said, yeah, I know soul craft. So we started playing soul craft. And we went through until the second course, until the first course. And he stopped. They, he stopped. He's like, blah, blah, blah. man, I thought I sucked. I thought, <laughs> oh my God, I sucked. Like, I thought I was rocking, and here I am, I sucked. Oh. Turned around, and Daryl was taking off his bass, and all I could see was this big smile on his face. And he said, walked back over to the mic, and he said, Doc, he said, Israel sounds just like Joe. Wow. And Doc said, I hear it, man. I hear it. And from Israel, come over here, man. Like a big brother. He was always like big brother vibe. You know, I was 20 yeah. years old. Now I was 30 something, you know. He put them big hands on my shoulder. He said, man, you sound good. I got him. I sing just like he said, sit down, man. And we started, started rolling this lift. <laughs> and he said, what else you know, man? He said, you be writing music. I said, yeah, man. So I right, we're gonna run through a few more songs. We got up and we did a set. I would consider it a set. We did like half hour. And I sang all them tunes, man. We did all their old songs. And when it was done, Daryl said, Yo, Israel, we need a singer for this band, bro. <laughs> Do you wanna be in the singer in the band brains, bro? And I said, yes. <laughs> let yeah. me think about that. Yes. Yeah. Let me think about oh, like, like Shanae on Martin. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, but I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, then I went and we had a grand time and celebrated. And the weekend was over and planned to come back the next weekend because I worked. I'm still working at a Demco alarm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, picking parts and assembling alarm parts during the day and performing at night. And then I remembered I had four, three or four bands. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I just left three or four bands. 
what am I going to do? How am I going to tell these guys this, you know, this state, they kind of knew this was happening, but to actually get the gig. And then yeah. so it took me a while to decide what I was going to do because of that. But then there was a girlfriend at the time that I had, and she told me, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Was it Latasha? No, no, this was Michelle. Okay. A girl I thanked on the record, actually. Uh, I was, I was, this was the, you know, you always have this one girl you're going to marry and have kids and this is the forever. Mm-hmm. This was her, right? We were together yeah. for three years, but, uh, uh, at the time she told me, she goes, you know, Israel, if you don't do this, this is something I think you're going to regret for, uh, for a long time. Oh yeah. And I, and I agree you, with her because this. this is the band, your favorite band growing up. They're legends. If you pass that up for a band that you don't know is going to make it, I mean, you could still be friends with them. I like, I mean, I, I hate to say it. I, I would think that would be selfish for the band members to not let you do that because I'm sure if they had the same opportunity, they would go for it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that you made that decision. I understand why you had to think about it, but I think that you, you definitely made the right decision for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I hurt some people, man. I, I can't ever wow. forget that I hurt some people, but yeah. that is the story in Rockstar, Is it not? Wow. Yes, it is. You know what? That is way more accurate than the Jews priest story. So dude, I went into the studio and I sang like the dude and they were like, and is that not the closest story to it? So I think, and then like we went out on the road and everything happened. I you remember like, I like his name, like, I can't even go through it because I don't want to go through like the movie because I'm not going to do that. But there was a particular character in the movie of the road manager. Mm -hmm. And we had a road manager named Kerry Wittick that was very similar in character. And uh, the whole thing was, in fact, look, this is not me saying this. The same girl I told you about called me many years later and we talked, laughed, reminisced. And then she asked me in 2007, so did you see Rockstar? Mm -hmm. And I said, nah, I haven't seen Rockstar. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, with Mark Wahlberg. I was like, with Mark Wahlberg? I don't know. I didn't see what I saw. I think Planet of the Apes might have been on. I saw, you know. (laughs) I'm like, no, I haven't seen Rockstar. Bro, just like you, she starts laughing, bro. She's laughing and laughing because she's in it too. That's the yeah. girl who gen- who she plays. That's wow. her. That's my girl at the time. That's my woman. That's my everything. My who I stepped away from, who I regretted. Like, mm-hmm. it, uh, that's the heartbreak, bro. But she laughed and laughed, and she just said, "You know, can you please go watch that and then call me after." Anyway, I don't want to make this all about that movie, but it's just a funny, peculiar thing. So they called me up and that began a process after that of going up there to uh, play with them and perform their songs. Yeah. Mostly from Attitude. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other songs from Quickness and I Against I, but mostly a lot of songs from Attitude. At that point, that was their, that was their joint. And then one day... I had told him I wrote a song. Daryl asked me, hey, Israel, pick out a note. And I said, B. And he hit a B on the guitar. And he hit a B flat. And he hit a B. And I think that's the beginning of um, 
down 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 i think there's a b in there somewhere because that's what he started writing right that's what we started writing and he and he asked oh he did it in the key of b or something i said man that's interesting line and he said yeah it's something new and i was like oh i got you on this and did you ever question any of the things they taught you while you were at school did you have a question on my teacher? Why do you take me for a fool? Rise up, you've got to rise. And I wrote that on Doc's. Uh, they had moved the kid into a room together with the other kid. And so I had a room there uh, that I would stay in on the weekends. And uh, I wrote that on his floor, on Doc's kid's floor, man. And I remember, never forget it. It's like I was outside, I was seeing myself on the floor. Yeah. It's having an out of body experience, man. And the notebook. And I was seeing also the notebook and Rise was being written, just being written, man. Rise was just being written. And every time it said Rise, I remember Jesus saying, Rise, Lazarus. <laughs> every time it was like Rise, I remember like all, like Bob Marley going, Rise, oh fallen fighters. And I just knew it was right. I was like, yeah. in hip hop, you rock a word, you know? It used to rock a word in the old days. Like, man, I dropped that word first, man. You're biting off me. This is old school hip hop, 80s. Rise was my word. I was like, yo, I actually was so ignorant of a lot of punk that um, at that point, I had heard Black Flag, but I hadn't heard the song Rise Above. Yeah. Can you believe that? So I had no idea this was going on already, but I, I was like, look, rise, because it's about time we're going to have to move to the next level of humanity. And who am I to think about these things? But like I said, since I was a child, I felt this calling. And I was broke in America, so I had no other opportunity. It was either be yourself or be a jerk following somebody, uh, like a criminal or trying to you know, be cool when you're not really cool. You're just uh, dressing in smart, some clothes and you know, you got looks for now. And I knew looks faded, all this kind of stuff, man. I was just hip as a kid, man. As yeah. hip as I could be in my generation anyway. There was hipper generations before us, but I was knowing. So, so it turned into all of that. And when I got to the brains, we wrote these songs and we wrote a demo. Rise, Miss Freedom, uh, Coming in Numbers, and Free. And we put that out. And that demo went on fire. Mm -hmm. I We couldn't believe it. Uh, Although it was great, I'll never forget being in the studio singing, and Daryl went in the, the mic room with me, and he 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 done things before he does on the bass. Like when you're singing with Daryl, he'll make sure you know all them stops by just going, you know, like in front of you. You know what I mean? Or like yeah. reggae, he'll put his pick in his mouth, and <laughs> you know, he'll have that look on his face, like keep that tight. <laughs> and uh, when we did the vocals at Applehead, he literally went in the sound booth with me, and he was just like going like this, you know, like 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 yeah. pushing me through that man, which was awesome. Man, he's just like such a, a caring person, and he, he so those vocal those that rise demo was really fantastic. Um, it's a great album. I love the rise album. So I have two questions regarding that. One, what was the the fans' reaction, did they accept you immediately? And two, what was HR's reaction to having you replace him? 
Um, okay, so on question one, I was really pleased to say that everyone went crazy at the shows. Mm -hmm. Granted, we went out and played in the beginning before the album was released, but the craziness never stopped. It just grew and grew and grew after the album. But the beginning before the album was really 70% old school and 40% new, my album. Yeah. And for free and rise and all, man, we had people jumping and going crazy, but they didn't know it. But they was just like, oh, like when it was done, they were like, ah. like you know, we were like, oh sweat, we did it. This is this is really happening. They were like, like, you know, like like or like throwing bottles or something. So we knew we had the new music, but we had to give them the old stuff. And bro, we yes. went as crazy and as manic and as you know like daryl like <laughs> like going like we went as crazy as we could as ferocious as we could because first of all they hadn't played that stuff in like five sixty years so it was almost like new to them again you know what i mean they were happy to play it again and the audience felt and for me of course it was like a experience on level 10 man it was the best experience i could have i was singing in the bad brain singing my favorite songs just like the kid in the film, I was having a time of my life, rocking audiences, singing, you know, I and singing um, Attitude and singing uh, Pay to Come and like, okay, this is a dream. And in my songs, I wrote an album with Babbrain. So it was like a dream. But I really felt a reality that I couldn't be a dream. And uh, there came a point real quick when I realized I can't let myself enjoy this too much. I don't know why this young 21 year old kid thought this, but I thought, wow, I really gotta be serious. This is, this is really happening. And so I s suddenly became less loose and I was like trying to focus. And that took me into a whole new level of my music. I, I focused on um, creating uh, well, you know, we created the album. Uh, I realized that we had something to do and we wrote the rest of the record. And I wrote all those lyrics, except Daryl wrote Coming in Numbers and Unidentified and Larry Graham wrote Hair. All the others I wrote as a 20 year old kid, young man, young man. So, but I realized I had to do something and I immediately did the only thing I could do, right? I grew up without a father. Musicians were my father. Music was my father. You know, people like were like proactive people in society. I took them on as father figures. People in the Bible was my father, you know? So I knew the only thing I could do was be like, represent the best of these people I knew. And the best of them was like people like Bob Marley. So I was like, man, See, people think I imitated, I, no, they don't think I imitated HR, but they think, oh, you did, did HR. Maybe, maybe not. But if they do think that, I tell them that, no, it wasn't so much HR. It was Bob Marley I was doing, I was feeling. And it was also because I grew up listening to rock and roll, like old school rock and roll as a child. We had a little radio that in the kitchen that played a lot of old rock and roll hits. So... I was very influenced by the same things as HR, the same kind of reggae. Yeah. But really my thing was Bob Marley, 
You know, I come up and be like, why I Rastafari? You know, that kind of way. Like he was all like, hi, when he was ready to do it. I felt yeah. that. Like, you know, I felt Aquarian. I felt airly, airheaded, and like ready to do it. You know, I wasn't as. HR was more strong. HR was more like a, like more like muscular and ready, like you know, like a more like a militant type thing, which was his thing. I wasn't like that. I wasn't that general. I was more the generation of yeah, you're smoking and kind of like yeah. you chill, but you're really still like a lion. You know, you're like a high iry lion, and that that was what I was. And I had a decision: what I was gonna do was I'm gonna be the high iry lion, or was I gonna be the militant soldier? And I realized. HR is is the king of this. And I'm not gonna go there pretending to be HR. I have to be who I am. It'd be like uh, you know, you know, I don't want to compare that anyway, but I always see two people in the Bible too. There was Elijah and Elisha, there's John the Baptist and Jesus. You know, they they didn't come like each other, you know what I mean? It's similar, you know what I mean? It came similar, but they had different things they offered. They was themselves, you know what I mean? John was in the forest, washing up the forest and and doing things on him on him, on different and Jesus come out a different way, you know what I mean? So yeah. it come in like you have the balance, you know. So I saw that as a kid. So I can't say, man, I'm rise gonna be like a more Bob Marley kind of thing, man. Like more yeah. like love and peace. And that's what I brought to hardcore, I think, um a sensibility of love and peace with rise that you are in a mosh pit. But like I used to say on stage, the mosh pit is a positive release of aggression. It's, you're not here to hurt each other. You're not here to stomp on each other. You see somebody fall in the pit, pick them up. You see yeah. people fighting, we're going to stop this show until we stand. We, I used to do that. I used to stop the show. Stop fighting. I'm blood, blood. What going on here talking? Back then, I used to like talking in a patois accent a lot. You know, it was just part of the trip. And like, hey man, stop fighting! But I said, "Love, man." The audience are clapping real loud, and so we used to do that a lot. I think I brought that, you know, as well. And so we wrote "Rise" under those type of feelings that we were going to be uh, representing, you know, like Ja Love, and uh, that's what rises. And Rise also I wanted as a kid. I heard about conceptual albums. Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Gaye was going on. Bob Marley, um, you know, uh, all of his songs. I'm trying to think of one. All of them are conceptual albums. So I'm thinking like, I wanted to be like that too. I don't know why I was harkening back to the past, man. I just, I just felt like the past was more real, you know, than what I was existing in then, you know. Yeah. And I think each generation feels that, you know. And I wanted to do a conceptual album where it's like you're rising. The whole album works out to be a, a, a continuous train of thought about taking you higher mentally until the end. You're at a point where you're you're um, we're talking about um, peace of mind. Find your peace of mind. And then there's a really peaceful love song at the end. Daryl and I wrote together called uh, For um, without you and that is <clears throat> got its multi-dimensional meanings because man is without god mm -hmm. uh a man is without his a king is without his queen you understand but those kind of things um was a little different for the genre at the time but it was true to who the bad brains are in that 
they are from that kind of music and they have written and listened to and been inspired by Stevie Wonder and all that stuff. So we have to, you know, there's no, 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 no nothing wrong with playing kind of like a, kind of like a thing to that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's a more slow kind of like open groove, you know, they do all kind of thing. You have to express yourself any, any kind of way. You can't be hesitant. Yep. And so was, we, so we wrote that album. So we wrote Rise. Yeah. No, what I wanted to say was I was trying to think of the time frame before the interview started, and I was thinking about it. I did see you at the Anthrax. It's a small club that no longer exists. A lot of punk bands played there, like Black Flag, Miners, all the bands you mentioned before. Bad Brains I saw with you. And I have to say, um, the crowd was going insane. You did not skip a beat. The music was great. And this is what I love about you. You're saying everything that I was thinking. It's like you stayed true to the Bad Brains. But you were your own singer, your own self. You weren't an imitation of HR. You were your own person. But you could do the HR songs, and then you could do your songs. And I have to say, my fiance knows nothing about this kind of music at all. And I had two people on the show. One was Mystic Bowie. He's in a band called Talking Dreads, and he was raving about the Bad Brains. And then I had John Joseph from the Cro-Mags, and he was raving about the Cro-Mags. I'm sorry, not Cro-Mags, Bad Brains, Bad Brains. And um, so he was. they were both saying, or she said, who are the Bad Brains? I said, you got to check this out. I went through all the different songs here and there, and she goes, whoa, whoa, what's this? It was Rise. And she goes, I uh, love this song. And I said, guess what? He's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. And she goes, oh, my God, this is my favorite album. Without her knowing wow. anything about it, she picked Rise out of it. And that's that's a true testament because she knows nothing about the scene. And she said, whoa, stop right there. She goes, can you play that again? <laughs> I played wow, it three times man. four in a row. So that is such a blessing. I'm always like blown away when I hear that, man, because I wanted to contribute to that band, you know, I really did. So that's incredible, man. Um it was very organic, bro. Uh you know, those songs I felt like uh they were going to be the key to change some social dynamics that we were dealing with. Um, again, I was at the point where I was tempted to talk about race and everything else, but I didn't, I didn't, I just, I didn't. I said, you know what, man, I'm not, I'm not going to do it like this. Uh, people have done it before, you know, it's gotten nowhere. You know what I mean? We have to talk about something higher. I got to find something higher. And so, I tried to find something higher and put it in words. It was really difficult because I was going against a lot of what what my reactionary idea would be, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it was really like a growing process. And and so I'm thankful that people like the album, some people love the album. Um, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, we wrote that record. And, you know, when when, when the demo came out, uh, a lot of people came to our door. We had minor labels and major labels. And there was a few major labels indeed, in fact. And um, uh, we had a choice. And one day Daryl and I were sitting face to face talking about this choice. And I said to him, hey, you know, I think you guys have spent a lot and this is just to explain to the fans to the public why it was on a major label mm -hmm. i said well <clears throat> i think that you guys spent a lot of time on minor labels mm -hmm. and rastafari is a message it's not a religious message a message of of hope for people to to tune themselves into something that can 
elevate them. Uh, we believe being a uh, vegetarian and thinking positive thoughts is good for people. You know, you don't have yeah. to believe in a God to understand that certain things, you know what I mean? So I said to him, I said, look, it's time to put this message that we've developed here into a big arena, into where a lot of people can hear it. And the only way to do that is to sign with something like Epic Records, who wants to sign us, which is insane. Wow. And so, I mean, you're talking about Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, Fishbone was on Columbia, yeah. uh, Cypress Hill, Supercat. You know, you're talking about like legendary, like, I mean, you know, these are not hardcore people, but hey, man, you know, I love all kinds of music, man. I respect Mariah Carey, you know what I mean? She could sing, man. Oh, I respect. Extremely talented. Extremely talented. I mean, I wish I could write a song for her. You know, she's dope. And she's from down the way. She's from uh, Uniondale or Hempstead. I'm from Westbury. Oh, wow. We're less than three miles away from each other. We grew up. In fact, I told you the guitar player from Uprising went to play with her for her record. You know, we grew up right down, me and I grew up right down the way from all those people, actually, from Public Enemy, from Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, Westbury is 10 minutes outside of Queens. Westbury is five minutes outside of Unidale, five minutes out of Hempstead, five minutes outside of, you know, it's like 10 minutes, out, 20 minutes outside of Wine Dance where Rakim is from. Yeah. You know, so many people in that. But I think those people are amazing. You know, I used to like Prince. I thought Prince was amazing. He's not hardcore, but Prince is, wow, man, like talented dude. I respect talent. So, um, you know, man, I thought, man, Epic Records, man, Let's do it and let the sun shine. So we did it. That's why we were on a major label, that, that it should be the official explanation. And uh, because we just thought it's time for this message to reach a broader audience. And it's time for bad brains to have their time, their due, to just do in, in the sun, you know? Yep. Well, you know what? I, that's why I interrupt you right there for one second, because I hate when people say this. Fans will say, oh, they sold out. And the, the reason they get mad is because it's a band that's maybe not so well known and they're the only ones that know about it. And then when other people get to know about it, they become more popular. Oh, they're not the same. It's like they're playing the same music. You're just mad that other people know them besides you. What is a band supposed to do? They're supposed to be as big as they can be, spreading their word, spreading the message. So I am so happy because... I watched the documentary. I know a lot about Bad Brains even before the documentary, Finding Joseph. I know all the troubles they went through. Rick Ocasek produced an album. They wanted to be signed to a major label and all the... Island Records, we're going to sign them and all yeah. that. So I'm so glad that you were in the band at the time Epic Records said, let's sign him right now. So congratulations on that. And I'm glad that, that yeah. you and Daryl and Doc went along with that. Yeah, we, we sat there and we talked about that that morning, me and Daryl, man. We, we really was like, yo, yeah, we all went along with that, man, because it made sense. It was like, it was time we had a good record. We had a good, we had good yeah. music and the lyrics were important. And it's like, okay, uh, 80, 8 billion, uh, 7 billion people are drowning. Uh, we can save, you know, 150, we can save 1,000, we can save 10,000 people. Or we could try and really save a million, you know, like two, three, five, ten million people, man. We can, including this this group as well, you know, including this hundred thousand, yeah, uh, people as well. So I just, and then like a lot of people felt like that. Oh, they sold out, but um, that is the honest explanation. It was Israel sitting there saying, 
hey, I think that it's time for this message of Rastafari, peace, love, positive energy, you know, uh, vegetarian lifestyle, you know, cutting out uh, terrible illegal drugs, not even the terrible things you put in the system like prescription drugs or uh, other kind of drugs and smoking herb on, or, or drinking herb in a tea or not even using herb then, or like, you know, being more conservative and, you know, prolonging your life so you can find some more interesting uh, ways to help use not only just yourself, but our earth because we're here together. All of these things, it just, it's a circle. You know, we're here together, we're on one planet. So for me, it just, I don't understand why people can't just get it. You know, we're on one planet, we live in one house. How can we not care about uh, what's going on? So I think that Rise was that. It was a 20, 21 year old's best effort to do that in the midst of a lot of rock that was talking about personal issues or a lot of violence and stuff. I try, you know, the era of violent uh, hip hop was gangster rap and violent reggae was the dance hall of the gun mine. And, you know, I will, I will shoot you and kill, you know, it was a lot of violence and I grew up with it and I went to parties where I saw violence and I, in Brooklyn and different places. And I, I had to walk away. I saw, I saw a girl get messed up because she, it, was like a crackhead and they like supposedly I don't know what was going on and like I had to like leave those kind of things you know and I realized these kind of things is violence and this is not good so I I wanted to represent so we wrote rise and that's what really rise is about it's about rising up uh from all of the the nastiness of that low chakra experience now, I didn't know about all these things back then believe me I didn't know about hermetics and yet I wrote rise I, the lyrics to rise is perfect hermetic understanding and I didn't even know about Hermes back then so I tell everybody watching this the power of the Akashic records of the universe that rise is when I read the words to rise now as in a man as an adult these are Hermes's teachings okay this is um, uh, you know, rising is what the whole thing is about. So um, it's very hermetic. Uh, so we got that out and it, it was a success. Um, but then suddenly people started inevitably making comparisons between myself and HR. And that started, I think, putting a little shade over the game, you know? And, you know, I have to say this, you know, I, I didn't see this kind of thing go on when Sammy Hagar joined Van exactly. Halen. I was going to bring that up. I mean, he's completely different from Dave Lee Roth, completely different style. And they had just as much success or even more with Sammy Hagar. And, and they, they blasted him all over MTV. Yeah. And he made, a, he made a commercial song with them right there. Yeah. Right now, we're gonna be right now. I mean, it's a bad tune. I can sing it today. I love that. But that's completely different than what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. But yet, nobody put him through the ringer. And I love Sammy Hagar. I love Van Halen. And I love, and God rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Rest in peace, great guitar player. Love you, man. But come on, nobody did that to them. And I started thinking, man, is this like some kind of like class thing or race thing or like, you know, I think I'm like use me like 
like the, the, the fire, piece of fire, they're gonna light me a fire. Um, but anyway, it, it, and I ignored it and I was like, okay, it, I'm, I'm gonna ignore it. You know, they're, they're trying to compare me to HR. But I think that started putting more shade over the thing than, than, than was a reasonable amount of shade. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, even as a 20-year-old, I started realizing that when you're seeing Pearl Jam and Peppers and everybody in hot, heavy, heavy, dupler dupe rotation all over MTV and rises on Headbangers Ball at night and Fishbone is at you know, you start wondering what's really going on. You know what I mean? Like, uh, nobody wants to talk about this. And people are probably going to be like, oh, I talk about that stuff, Israel. Stop. Just talk about music. And it's okay. Yeah, I'll talk about music. Okay. But hey, you know, let's talk about this a little bit too, okay? There's a problem in music, and it's called racism. And you guys might not feel that way because you say, oh, look at all the hip-hop, and look at all of this and that and soul and all everybody. But check it out. What are they really signing in hip-hop? violence mm -hmm. guns yo 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 right that's what they're yeah. signing they're not signing hey peace and love and we're gonna rise to the to the next level they're not putting that on hip-hop and then they do they sign someone that's not doing it so good so everybody could laugh at it mm -hmm. so the struggle is to to enhance and it seems as though those trying to enhance in certain groups are not really allowed to really enhance like that, despite the fact that there's a few and few in between, so you could, can't really say it, but they'll say, oh, look, but there's that. What about that? And you can say, oh, all right, there's one, so I guess I gotta keep my mouth shut, but realistically, there is an issue. And I think that kind of affected not only me, but the whole Bad Brains experience, you know what I mean? They were um partially not not no not a totality but i don't want to be this kind of dude who will sit here on this interview with you and as and ignore uh that issue okay that's ridiculous it's going on like the pink elephant in the room i think that we were uh not played on mtv in heavy rotation for the same reason chuck berry wasn't played Mm -hmm. on 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 radio for the same reason you know it's been that Jimi hendrix was uh only allowed the wind cries mary as his single and purple haze you know does that really represent the, the greatness of the man i mean can we have another you know and and what was the other one the uh the cover that he did from uh uh you know um there must be some kind of way out of here oh yeah yeah yep. and the only ones he can have right so it's like What's really going on? And so I had to ignore all of it, but ignoring it uh, just, you know, if you ignore it, then it just keeps happening. And if you fight it, then it gets worse. So you can't win. So there's no winning. All right. So moving away from that. Well, no, no. Before we move away from it, I want to say something that could back that will back up what you're telling me, because as I said, I spoke with John Joseph, formerly of the Cro-Mags, and he was a roadie in the 80s with HR. And he was telling me about the racism back then, and they would sell out shows, the owners refused to pay them, and sometimes they wouldn't even be allowed in the building because they were black. So I wanted to ask you, at that time, did you encounter any of that as well? I know what you're telling me is going exactly with what John was telling me about his experience with the Bad Brains. What about your personal experience besides the fans and some of the record companies? Did you have issues with the clubs as well? Well, you got to remember between when John Joseph was with them in 1981, 82. Yeah. And when I was with them in 1991, 
you had an entire revolution of black people coming on TV in a major way with hip hop and reggae. Yes. So a lot of white people from the Midwest and the Southeast, Southwest that didn't really see people like me or darker than me um, doing it in a way that they could understand. They saw that in the past. Black people dressed in suits in the 20s playing jazz, uh, Jimi Hendrix, funky black people in the 70s with big collars on, and then this new thing called rap music that was like a beat, and they're just talking, okay? But then by like 85, rap had had some hits and Run DMC was on TV dressed like they come out, yo, Run DMC, run the play. you know, yeah. white America saw that. And they were like, hey, it's not so bad. It's, it's actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And um, let's, what is this really about? And young white kids were like, I can't get enough of this. Like, what is this? Like, because you got to remember at that point, it was only coming out of New York. Yeah, from a specific read people from specific place in Brooklyn and the Bronx and 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 in those places. So hip hop was a baby. And it was a New York baby at that time. So um, by the time I got there, though, that revolution had happened. Shaba Ranks had had a hit with Trailer Load of Girls. Um, you know, you had Shinehead, you had Heavy D, you had uh, people knowing about reggae. You had Bob Marley make his resurgence right when I was coming up uh, in 82. Bob Marley was was died in 81. And then like 82, 83 started making a resurgence. Everybody was just a Bob Marley. I grew up in a world of Bob Marley on Long Island. Everybody was Rasta. All the white kids was like, you know, you go down to the beach. They was all rocking dreads and getting high. And I was like, wow, you guys respect Caribbean people. Like that was a whole twist. That's part of what drew me to Rasta too, because... Caribbean was known like no respect, you know, like, oh, it's like you guys live in like the grass huts and like run around in the sun, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's respect in a sense, but they don't really know because Caribbean's a huge city, you know, like huge cities and big metropolises, even when I was young. And so when I saw these guys loving like dreadlocks and Rasta and stuff, I thought, wow, this is such a great thing for me because I am actually Caribbean, you know. But anyway, fast forward. Um, for me, when I got there, the racism was a lot less. Bands like Fishbone had had hits with uh, uh, Freddie's Dead and Bonin' in the Boneyard. White kids were ready for black bands in 1991, 92. It was prime, but it didn't happen because MTV and the managers who were still stuck in the old days of thinking didn't really allow it to happen because they didn't put it on blast like they did the Pearl Jams, like they did the, I love Pearl Jam, Eddie, all y'all, blessings, man. I'm not talking a bad about y'all. I'm, I'm explaining yeah. a, a point. I love you guys. I'm glad you have your success. Like they did the Pearl Jams, like they did the Blind Melons, like they did the, you know, I mean, come on, Blind Melon is a beautiful song, but Rise Can't Live. I mean, come on, the three non, four non-blondes. 
I mean, that's a great song, but Rise can't come on after that song. Like this is this is the same kind of song, okay? It's like uh it never it never lived like that. They and they every time you what's going on? You know, we went on tour with them. We would say, oh, you know, we went on tour with them. It's, it's like it's like, how come this is happening? But then I could only think it's happening to all the black bands, 24-7 spies, yes. fishbone, bad brains, uh Living Color had one hit, which was Cult of Personality, and in 30 years, they haven't been allowed to have one other hit after that, okay? If you look at it, that's the only song they ever, they produced songs that are way better than that since then, lyrically, musically, all right, so it's done. So to me, I just knew that. As a young hip-hop kid, I was already knowing that. I had knowledge of self, they called it, you understand? Mm-hmm. We used to think we had knowledge of self as kids in the 80s because look, I had at some point I had a, I told you the story about being here and coming not Trinidad and I'm black, right? So at mm-hmm. some point I had to study what this team is I'm, I'm on and understand, yes, I understand what's going on and then develop what we thought the older black people didn't have, knowledge of self, mm-hmm. knowledge of who we are coming from Africa into the West Western Hemisphere, knowledge that we are products of what the Western Hemisphere taught us in the educational system, and that because of that, we are ignorant and blind and, and to who we naturally are because we're being taught by a system that is uh, that was slavery, right? It was slavery in the Western Hemisphere. So this system is, 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 is teaching us a slave version of, of thinking. And so we thought the best thing we'd do is find ourselves and have knowledge of self as melanated people and as white people too, because it wasn't an exclusion. White people, we thought, are the only people going to solve this because white folks know what's really going on, right? This is how the young, the young person thinks. The white guys in Europe, they know what's going on. They can solve all of this, right? And uh, maybe that's still true. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I joke a lot, bro. <laughs> but, you know, like, who knows? But I used to think that way, you know? Like, there was a point where I thought. But, but as I got older, of course, I realized, look, we got to solve all this together. And there is no real black and white. And I, I grew to realize the whole thing. You know, I was living in a microcosm in the hood, you know, man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, Long Island was segregated, bro. People don't believe me, man. But when, you know, Newcastle and these places were all black. And then you had all the white towns surrounding it. Car Place, uh, um, Mineola, Hicksville, uh, <clears throat> um, Salisbury, all of, you know, and they would like, you know, they isolated this little town, man. And so it was like, um, I didn't really even, I, we went to school and the, the school was like 2% white, 3% white, you know, like some Italians and like, but then like when I finally started getting a job at 17 and I had to go to uh, Mineola and Car Place to work, it was only white people. Mm-hmm. So like I went there and I was like, wow, it's only white folks here. And then I would hear a lot of stuff because Immediately, they didn't recognize me as being black because at that point, like I said, it was complete unfamiliarity with the black community. So they didn't really even see me as being black. They would say stuff about dark black people around me, and I'd be like, "Huh? You know, like, did you just say that?" Like, and I realized, "Oh my God, I have to hide that I'm black." Like, whoa, they don't realize I'm black. So, like, I went through all of that, and then sometimes I'd be like, "Dude, my family is." Like, you know, black, I'm black, dude. Like, oh, you're not. I'm like, 
what's really going on? I'm not black now. Like, it was. What do you think? I fell asleep under a tan lamp. You know. What? What do you think happened here? I got the old injections. No, I really. I mean, I really couldn't understand. It was like a whole different mindset. Now I'm not black. Now I'm. But then it was like, okay, yes, you are black, but you're not really like black. You're a different kind of black. You're like different. So then I realized, oh, there's different kind of black. So it was like a whole deal. But by the time I got through all the 80s, which was the yeah. end of that, thank God. Yeah. And I think I really had a lot to do with, all of us had a lot to do with that. The 90s came and kids were ready, bro. The love, I've always felt love for them. Uh, white folks because look i grew up with white folks in trinidad my mother had a good job my father had a good job we had white americans visiting dudes in big suits my brother's god uncle is a white american couple that was elvis's aunt wait, wait who is this again there's, there's a there's a musical trivia for you my no, wait, younger brother dexter okay my younger brother dexter and and correct this for me the internet says that my name is Dexter Pinto. It's not that. I have never. I, my younger brother's name is Dexter. Okay. And Dexter's god, this is a digressed side note. Dexter's godparents is Elvis's aunt and uncle. Wow. Elvis Presley. This is where I can roll. Who I grew up with, right? Yeah, well, no, so, actually, you know what? Staying in that, I want to go back for one thing because. You have a very, you have a lot of musical connections, and I we sort of passed over it. But I want to go back to this really quickly because um, one of your teachers kept on bragging about her son, saying, "Oh, he loves to play guitar." What was her name? <laughs> That's great. You are awesome, bro. So I had <laughs> you're awesome. So I had this teacher in uh, Dryden Street, which is a little school out uh, on Long Island in Westbury. Uh, you know, just a few blocks from my house, but we had this really amazingly sweet, redheaded, shocking red hair, they call it like that now, uh, lady, uh, about five feet tall, five feet, two inches tall, sweetest lady, our teacher. And one day, uh, you know, back then you don't change classes when you're in third grade, you have a teacher for the whole day. Mm -hmm. And so one day we're sitting in class at the end of the year, the school year, and we're about to leave her. And this is a sad thing because we're leaving her. Mm -hmm. And she goes, and you know, this summer, what I'm going to be doing, and she was retiring. Man, I remember all this stuff. I was just a kid. And she said, this summer, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be helping my son out. He plays guitar. No, he plays this. And she drew a guitar, an electric guitar on a wall on the blackboard and she goes does anyone know what this is and i like you know and i was like it's a guitar and she's like very good and she's like my son plays guitar and i'm going to be helping him out this summer so that's what i'm going to be doing my teacher's fourth grade teacher's name was mrs satriani mm -hmm. and it's joe satriani's mother from Long Island, New York. You have a lot of great musical connections. Elvis Presley, <laughs> Joe Satriani. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Your mother was like a second mom to me. I would see her every day for an entire school year, and I loved her. She was the sweetest lady, loved me, treated me really nicely, and I just want to say you're the man, Joe. You had a great mom, 
And your mom was my fourth grade teacher. <laughs> she drew your guitar on a blackboard. I wouldn't realize that till years later, till I, I worked at Tower Records yeah. in 1989 through the, mid, the early 90s, like before Brains. And one of his new records came in and I pulled it out and the name immediately struck a bell and it was Jocko, rest in peace. Like that, this is Joe Satriani, Frank from right down the way. And it's like, I was just like, oh my God. Like it was it crazy. All came and together. Heard, all came together. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was totally funny. She was so nice. I remember her, man. She, we had those little like desks you would sit at and like you would be able to open up the top and there's like a little wood yeah. piece and like you keep stuff in and yeah, so it was like that we had like a little class and she was just this nice little lady walking around she loved wearing dark green she always wore dark green and purple uh pants i remember her a lot in dark green and purple pants with this red hair uh and uh shocking red hair and so she was, she was really awesome, but, but, but she didn't talk about music. I had no encouragement in music until uh, very late, man. No one in my family, I had an uncle that sang. That was the only person in my family that did music was my father's brother, uh, my uncle Terry. He sang, he crooned uh, songs like My Way and uh, all these original, like uh, great, big singer songs that he could yeah. do perfectly. He won contests in Trinidad and stuff, you know, he was like, wow. he traveled to England. Yeah, he was like scouting for talent. It was Trinidad's, uh, you know, Trinidad's got talent, you know, and it was called scouting for talent, you know, and scouting for talent, you would go up and, and do like America's Got Talent, you know, you would just sing or the voice. And the, and there was a Simon, you know, Simon Cowlin or whatever his name is. And there was a dude in Trinidad like that. And he was just like, oh, you suck, man. You only can't come here with them kind of voice and think all this thing and go. And people would be like, ah, you know, but there would be. And my uncle would win, man. He would come up and be like, my love. My love. <laughs> They'd be like, ah. Just like him, you know, like it was so we'd win. And uh, what he told me when I was 12 in my room one time, don't be a singer. Like he knew I was probably, you know, when you're ignorant as a child, you don't remember what you're doing. And I probably was talking back and singing and all that stuff already, just like I am now, but I just don't remember. Yeah. And he was like, don't be a singer. You know, he's like, and worse, if you ever be a singer, don't don't smoke marijuana, you'll love it. And I was like, I will never smoke weed. I was like, are you crazy? He was like, don't do it. He knew, man. He already knew. He was like, I know what you're about, bro. You're not going to drink. You're not going to do any of that stuff. You're not going to like drugs. Your mother's too... Your mother don't talk... My mother never spoke to me about marijuana. Only drugs. Yep. She's, but uh, she never smoked herself. I had an uncle. Wait, let me ask music. you, though. What, what was his reason for you? I can see the drug thing. But why didn't he want you to be a singer? Uh, he thought it would get me into drugs. Oh, he thought, okay. uh, he, yeah, he 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 probably uh, analyzed me as predisposed to being uh, into drugs because he I was probably spacey and like you know, oh man, this one here, boy. Because even my brothers, I, I'm not at all like my brother. My brothers are straight conservatives. You know, they look at me. My nickname was crazy. You know, when I was 12, 13, 14. I'm serious, and uh, I was crazy, man. And uh, that's partially because when I was a kid, I liked the singer crazy, but I was crazy too, right? I was always talking etheric stuff, you know, like, like really off the wall stuff, and having like talking about visions. I was kind of like Joseph in a sense. When I read the Bible, man, I saw I was like 
lied to people. He's brand new. He's showing me my family because I recognize what these people are doing. You know, I recognized Joseph really quickly, man. I was, I, I had those dreams, but I recognized in Joseph, you better shut up about those dreams. My mother also told me you need to play stupid sometimes. She looked at me cooking pot one day and I was looking at her, you know, what she's putting in the pot. And she said, I want to tell you something. She said, I said, what? She said, you need to learn to play stupid sometimes. And I said, like, I was shocked. I was like, you want me to play stupid? I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you need to learn to play stupid sometimes. She was like, people don't really like this. And I, you know, I think about this thing as a man, I must've been saying some really weird shit, you know? I don't remember. But I was really always cosmic, though. I know that about myself. I had always had a cosmic vision. So uh, all of that amounted to um, writing Rise. Rise was my declaration about what I had to do for myself and what I thought the best thing for others to do and the way to do it. It started out in school because I felt like they didn't understand me. I hated school. I went to school, nervous pit. I fought in school till I'm seventh grade, fought fist fights, you know, people, I was, I was at odds with things. I was, I was always strong as everything, like a weird strong. So I was always scared to use my strength. And like, I, it's been this way till now. I'm very strangely strong and I'm scared to use my strength. You know, I fought in school. I hated fighting. I hated the way it felt. I, it, I detested it. Uh, so I stopped at all costs by seventh grade. But I hated going to school. My family was fighting at home, alcoholism. I couldn't concentrate. I wanted to be a poet, a writer, an artist. I, you know, there was no curriculum for that. Certain teachers took me under their wing. Certain teachers thought I needed therapy. So they tried to send me to therapy by like 87. But like I didn't, you know, I got need a therapy. I'm like, come on. You know, like I, I, just, I just stronged it out, you know, and, and walked through yeah. the 80s. And so that all like went out to rise. Rise is, that's what that album is. That's what that means. Uh, I knew that's what I had to do. Yep. And, and then the rest of it is just an observation of society. See, I thought there would be a lot more records for Bad Brains. Mm -hmm. So Rise is written like, hey, there's going to be a lot more of this. These are, this is, I'm going to be spitting off song after songs, man. Let's do it. So Rise is kind of like, observations of society, internal observations, like, you know, at the beginning, it was going to be a conceptual thing where I knew I was going to write lyrics connected to the last record. And I thought people were going to respect me for that or respect me for the poetry on Rise. But then I realized, man, I'm black. You know what I mean? Like, what did I think? What was I thinking? You know, what was I thinking? Well, the, and, I mean, the thing is, though, like I told you, I saw you perform and the crowd loved you. I'm sure a lot of the fans loved you. Unfortunately, there's, that a, way. there's a minority that are going to think the way they are. They're going to be ignorant. And unfortunately they have the louder mouse and the, the more, th and the, I think unfortunately more people listen to that minority and probably most of the people loved you, loved your album, loved your music. Well, it's just, unfortunately they had the bigger mouth and it made well, it. And they weren't even in the audience. I don't want to even, what you're saying about the mouth and everything. it's true. Yeah. But these these mouths didn't come from the audience. The audience was love. As yeah. I said, at that point, I thought black and white was on the same energy that we was just going to finally be this united America yeah. that um, was going to rise. But where the voices were coming from was above. Okay.
sudden I hear, bim, bim. <laughs> What's a diaphragm again? <laughs> ha! We caught one. They're supposed to be weird. Oh, yeah, no. If you say so. I've always wanted to be in a movie. Living around for all 